We realize true worship catches the attention of God, but did you also realize others will see it too? Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with an example. You know, you think about it, your worship matters to other people, and it affects other people. Let's say you're at work. You know, when you worship, there will be a response by people. Most will enjoy it and some will not, as we'll see in a moment. You, you think you're at work, you know, and you have a, a big issue coming up and, and the decision needs to be made by Friday. And everyone else in the office, they're just quick to make decisions. Well, we'll just do this and we'll do this and this. But you say, no, we need to pray. And the believers are going to go, okay, we'll pray with you. All right, let's pray. But then those that are unbelievers, what are they going to do? Ah, oh, yeah, you're going to pray. Oh, yeah, you know. And just like, man, you get responses. But by your act of worship, you force people to make a decision about God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Welcome to Abounding Grace. If you're a regular listener to this program, first of all, thank you. We appreciate that so much. As some of you know, we're going through the Gospel of John right now, and today we'll stop to have dinner with Jesus. In chapter 12, Mary pours a very expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus, and Martha was busy serving. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with some of the lessons we can glean from this. We are in John's Gospel, chapter 12, having finished... The many studies that we did in John chapter 11. You recall John chapter 11 is a rather difficult chapter because we're invited into the family pain of Mary and Martha as they lost their brother Lazarus. It began with a serious sickness. That serious sickness led to death. You mix in a seeming delay of Jesus where he heard about the sickness but didn't come right away. And in that delay, at least from our human perspective, was the time that Lazarus died. And yet Jesus did show up, and he performed one of the most glorious miracles in all the scriptures. He raised Lazarus literally from the dead. And by the time we get to chapter 12, the city that was, in all of the city, all the family was mourning and grieving. The city that was mourning and grieving is now filled with joy. Things have changed. Lazarus is alive. And as my pastor has always reminded me that wherever there is a death, there's always a resurrection. There, there's always new life. There's God wants to do something fresh and new, whether it is in the loss of a loved one, which is by far one of the most difficult things that you and I will face in this world, or it's a difficulty of another sort. God wants to do something fresh and something new. Great joy now has filled the hearts of those by the time we open up to chapter 12. We're coming to the very end now of Jesus' life, the last week. The Passover is near. Jesus will be attending. He'll present himself to the nation. He will cleanse the temple again and offer himself as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world now as we finish off the last half of the Gospel of John, which brings us to verse 1 now in chapter 12. 
Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, and there's a couple Bethanies, so he's, John is being clear which one it is, the one where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. What an amazing sight that must have been. I mean, we can't, we can't go on without pausing there to think. The very one that was in the tomb for four days, the one where his body was already beginning to go through the process of decomposition, four, I mean, he's sitting there, alive, enjoying a meal with Jesus. An amazing thing. What great joy. And here Jesus is toward the end of his life in a home, celebrating life, looking forward to the Passover celebration. You guys that have been with us, you remember in the very beginning of his ministry, at the very beginning of John's gospel, where do we find Jesus? In a home celebrating what? A wedding. So in the very beginning, he was in a home with a family celebrating the joy of a wedding. Now toward the end of his life or toward the end of his ministry, right before the crucifixion, where is he again? In a home, this, this time celebrating life. I mean, Jesus loved to celebrate, loved to enjoy the joys of life, loved to then enjoy the joys that people were experiencing. And you know, the Bible and God places a high emphasis on the home. Your home and mine. I'm not speaking of the physical building. I'm not speaking of an apartment or a condo or a house. I'm speaking of the home, the home life. The home is designed by God to be a refuge from the craziness of the world that's all around us. It's designed to be a place where we can relax, where we can be refreshed, a place where we can express our love and encouragement to one another. Homes are so often the place of fellowship, the place of service, the place of gratitude. But homes can also be a place of testing, can't they? <laughs> you know, those that live with you, they know you. You know that. They know all about you. They know the real you. And it's a place of testing. It's a place of refinement. It's a place where much spiritual maturity takes place in the home. You know, the home is so important that when it comes to those that lead in the church, spiritual leaders, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, in order for a man to lead as an elder in the church, the Bible says that he has to rule his own house well. He has to be the leader at home. I mean, that really is the place. If you don't know how to lead your home, you don't know how to spiritually lead those that God has entrusted to you in your home, you're not qualified yet to lead those in the church. I mean, the home's important. It makes sense then, doesn't it? If God places such a high emphasis on home, if so many great things happen, whether you're in a home in a married capacity with kids or you're a single or you're living in a roommate situation, it doesn't matter. Your home situation is the proving ground for God to develop in you a maturity that isn't there currently. And because the home is so important, because those relationships in the home are so important, it makes sense then, doesn't it, that homes are under attack, that we live in a society that's trying to redefine what home really is, trying to redefine what marriage really is, trying to undermine what God has designed, what God has placed in motion, what he has created. You know, going right after it, going right after the kids, the devil is, by trying to redefine what a marriage is, even though the Bible is very clear. Jesus couldn't be clear. It's one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's God's ideal. And the home just being under, under attack, the serious efforts to undermine our fellowship, our service, our gratitude, 
our hospitality, our unity. I dare say that some of you are the very source of the difficulties in your own home. And you need to get right with the Lord. You need to be in a place where God can use you in your home. To be in a place where God can, can flourish your home life. And you'll be that conduit. Just one. The Bible speaks of that wife that is married to an unbeliever. And I would say, um, by application, that man that's married to an unbeliever. That they, became, they become the sanctifying person in the home for God to, to work. So maybe you are kind of struggling in that place where you are the believer or you're the only one that cares about walking with the things of God and you're the one that seems like you're always being the spiritual one. I would just say to you, hang in there. Hang in there. Be the man, be the woman that God has called you to be. Maybe you're a kid here today. Maybe you're a young person and your parents are all going sideways, but you have a love for the Lord. Then you be that one that brings love of God into your home. And you be patient praying for your parents that are going sideways. Pray that they would come back. Pray that they would rededicate. Pray that they would get saved because your home is very important. The Bible says in the last days that the home is going to be an important place. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so here's Jesus at a home, eating at a table. Do you know Jesus loved to eat? Do you love to eat? Amen. Jesus loved to eat. You could hang out with Jesus. Eating is such an important part of fabric of life. Now, in Middle Eastern culture in the first century, and still today, eating is a very important thing. It's a sharing of life together, both in the purchasing of the food and in the preparation of the food, but more importantly, in the enjoyment of the food. And when you think about it, the table is set, and you're sharing of the same meal. You're sharing, you know, you might take a piece of bread off and you take it into your body and then someone else takes a piece of the bread on the other side, they take it in and you're sharing in common. I know often when I have to have a very difficult conversation with someone, I like to do it over a meal. It just seems to take the tone of the conversation down a notch and we can share a meal together and talk about difficult things. Jesus loved to eat and here he is experiencing a meal that was prepared for him that Martha put together. I love that. Martha's serving, and Lazarus was one of those at the table. What a sight that must have been. Then, verse 3, Mary took a pound, a very costly oil of spikenard. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Again, when we are introduced to these sisters, Mary and Martha, we see the contrast in their life. Let me show you the first one. We won't comment much on it, but let's, by way of understanding and comparison, let's go back to Luke chapter 10 of the most famous interaction that we have of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10. Pick up with me when you get there in verse 38. That's the first time we really see them contrasted. And it was this time that Mary was or Martha was serving, but she was distracted. And she was worried and troubled about many things. Notice with me, Luke 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him in into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, 
But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So the contrast, Martha, a server, busy about taking care of things, Mary at the feet of Jesus worshiping, and and they both had their place, except in this time, Martha was distracted. She was worried, and she was troubled, and that will always interrupt our worship of God. Always. And yet now they're contrasted again. Martha is serving, and Mary, where is she? At the feet of Jesus again. Except this time, there's no correction. There's no mention that Martha's off distracted or worried. They both are worshiping Jesus in the purity of their hearts before him. Martha, she had a gift, and her gift was serving. Like so many of you, according to Romans chapter 12, so many of you have the gift of helps or the gift of service. Well, that's just what you do. You love to serve. You don't wait for someone to ask you to serve. You like serving behind the scenes. It brings you great joy when someone benefits from your serving. And for those of you that serve here, thank you. Thank you for expressing that gift. Thank you for being used of the Lord. For some of you, you haven't served in a long time. Would you please come back and begin to serve the Lord again? We want to benefit from the gifting that God has given to you. So here, Martha, she has the gift of serving, but Mary also had something to give. She had this pound, this bottle of very expensive perfume, very expensive oil. It was worth about a year's wage. Can you imagine having something that valuable? A year's wage that took you a whole year to work. I mean, every single dollar you earned before taxes. You know, don't even think about, like, man, every single dollar that you, every hour, every minute you worked for a whole year, you had this special precious bottle of oil. Now, for Mary, this bottle of oil would be used in one of two ways in in her life in that day. The first use would be as a dowry for her future marriage. This would be used as a gift, as a dowry to be given in her future marriage. That's very valuable. Or this oil was often used to anoint the body of a lost loved one, a very close loved one. They would dedicate that and give it to them at their death. And yet, Mary still has it. This is not just costly in the realm of dollars, but it's also costly because she didn't use it. There's no mention of her using it for her brother Lazarus. And we know she loved him, and we know she cared for him, but she kept it even from that as a special possession in her life. And when Jesus comes back into her home, she decides to break it out and offer it to the king and break it over his feet. Most, va- most likely, this was the most valuable thing she would ever own then and now. And yet she pours it out over the feet of Jesus and the room was immediately exploded with the fragrance of love and sacrifice on the one who loves and sacrificed for us. I mean, there was a distinct, beautiful fragrance that filled that room in this act of worship. And it reminds us that in our worship, our worship changes the atmosphere in which we're in. Our act of worship changes those that are around us. 
Everyone now was able to enjoy the precious gift that she gave. Everyone, the whole thing. I mean, I think of it this way. Have you ever met someone that broke the whole bottle of perfume and cologne over themselves before they left the house? You ever stand in, a, in the line at Starbucks and go, whoa, bro, only a couple of squirts will work, man. Just a couple. You don't have to... See. Am I the only one? Or like, all right, all right, so you get it. You get it. Well, in a very beautiful way, that's what's happening in this room. Now, some of you are like, I wonder if he's talking. No, I'm not talking about you. I didn't mean It's not you. Not you at all. In a very real way, her act of worship changed the whole atmosphere of that room. And everyone immediately began to share in her worship. You know, some of you, you need to be in a worship service like this at a church with other believers just so you can be changed by the atmosphere. I know there are many times you find yourself coming into a church service and you just aren't feeling like being here. You just don't want to be here. You don't want to sing songs. You're not in the singing song kind of mood. You're not wanting to sit through an extended Bible study or be in a place. I, there, there are those times we're human. We go through things and, and I completely understand and appreciate that in your life. But there are times where you just have to do things by obedience. You need to be in the place even when you don't want to because it may not be your worship that blesses you. It'll be someone else's. <laughs> I mean, how can you not? You know, I love when Pastor Ian and the team will back off the microphone and how can you not like just a room filled with worship? I mean, are you getting at that at work? Probably not. I mean, don't think of us even here. We work here. We serve in this building, but this room is empty during the week. It's empty. We don't get this during the week. You know, well, you work at church, so you guys are always singing. <laughs> sure, sure we are. We're, we aren't in heaven yet. I understand that. But it's a great place to serve the Lord. But you think about it. You know, you think about it. Your worship matters to other people, and it affects other people. And when you worship and you choose to be in a worshipful mode, Let's say you're at work. You know, when you worship, there will be a response by people. Most will enjoy it and some will not, as we'll see in a moment. You, you think you're at work, you know, and you have a, a big issue coming up and, and the decision needs to be made by Friday. And everyone else in the office, they're just quick to make decisions. Well, we'll just do this and we'll do this and this. But you say, no, we need to pray. I just need to pray. I can't make the decision right now. I just need to ask my God for wisdom. I believe God can speak. And, and you tell your coworkers, and, and the believers are going to go, okay, we'll pray with you. All right, let's pray. And we'll pray with you, and we can't wait to get the answer. But then those that are unbelievers, what are they going to do? Ah, oh, yeah, you're going to pray. Oh, yeah, you know. And just like, man, you get responses. But by your act of worship, man, by your decision to worship, you force people to make a decision about God. You didn't mean to. It's not like you're going, I'm going to force people to make. No, you're just worshipful heart. You know, you decide just to be appreciative, you know, and, and just so joyful. I mean, you look at Jesus being here at the house, rejoicing with Lazarus, rejoicing with Mary and Martha, rejoicing with the city and all those that are there. It's a good thing to be happy with those that are happy. I hope you are. I hope you're happy with those that are happy. I know that's a part of my life. I just love to be happy with other people when things are going well. You know, there'll be times when I open up my Facebook and I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but when I open it up and there's just people there and there's the pictures on the wall there and I go through and I go, oh man. I, I mean, Facebook is a good thing where you can rejoice with those that rejoice. Now, Facebook can also be like the weirdest place on the planet Earth and I see things going, why are you posting that and why? But that's a different Bible study altogether. I'm going through and I go, oh man, look at this. Somebody just got married. Praise God, they just had a baby. 
I see grandparents posting pictures of their grandkids, and I say, it's great that you get to enjoy your grandkids. Bless you. Enjoy it. It's a privilege. I see some wonderful thing happening in your life, and I'm just so happy with you. Yeah, the Bible says to weep with those that weep, but the Bible also says to rejoice with those that rejoice. And let me just say this. If you're looking for a place to reveal your hearts, you know how you pray, Lord, search me and know me, reveal if there's any unclean thing in me. You pray that often. You want to really know your heart, just between you and the Lord. This is your own personal prayer life, your own personal relationship. How you respond when someone else is just being blessed and encouraged will show you a lot about your heart. I mean, if you can't be happy when other people are happy, especially in those down times in your life, you know, difficult times, times where you just things aren't lining up the way you would want, things that aren't happening the way you expected, and you see someone else who's like so blessed, you know, your heart really is revealed in how you respond. Are you hard and bitter and upset? And I can't believe that. Or are you just like, you know what, Lord? Bless them. I'm so glad they get this in their life. I'm so glad that they get to enjoy life. You gave us all things, the Bible says, richly to enjoy. And your heart will be revealed. And here's Jesus in the midst of, man, the whole room changed. Not only a beautiful fragrance, you know, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you can just jot it down. You and I are an aroma in our lives. Paul talked about the aroma and the fragrance of our lives. And choosing to worship, no matter what people think, is always the best choice. And so there are responses, aren't there? Notice verse 4. It's a great act of worship. The room smells incredible. There's the humility of Mary wiping his feet with the preciousness of her hair. It's a beautiful scene. Then... He says, Judas speaks up, verse 4, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, you and I know the full story of Judas, but the people there had no idea what a rat he really was. They don't know. So when you're listening to this for the first time, you know what you think? Wow, what a spiritual guy. I mean, Judas, we should put him in leadership. That guy, he really cares. He sounds so spiritual. Yes, maybe we should have. Maybe she just should have used a little bit, and we could have used that money for the poor. But John gives us commentary because he's writing after the fact. Notice, he said, verse 6, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was put in it. Wow. You know, if this was a movie... We would, in the first couple verses, we'd go, yes, yes, the upbeat music, sunny skies. Verse 4 would be darkness, and the music would change. Dun, dun, dun. And then they'd usually display Judas as some evil, wicked-looking dude with red eyes and just nastiness. But that's not how. I disagree with that portrayal of Judas. He looked like everyone else. Judas was a wolf in sheep's clothing. If you'll recall, Jesus told us to watch out for that. With every true worshiper, there are those who are false. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part of a study in John's Gospel. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com or you can listen through our app as well. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we also have a podcast. Look for us where you get your podcasts. 
If you take a brief moment to write or call, you know, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com by clicking on Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of E.M. Bounds on Prayer. We know we're to pray, but if you're like many, you don't do it nearly enough. Or when you do pray, it's just a mindless repetition of a phrase you've come to use. Well, this book contains some of E.M. Bounds' finest writings on the subject of prayer, and will help you see what a blessing communication with God truly is. I think you'll walk away with some valuable insights that you can apply right away to your prayer time. To donate and order this today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. It's your generosity that helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Tell a friend about these daily studies, and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.